0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I'm honored to have Nana Merriweather on. Nana has a phenomenal story and has accomplished so much from uh, being a UCLA volleyball player and an All-American volleyball player, uh, competing and trying out for the U.S. Olympic team to then competing for Miss California, Miss Maryland, and then ultimately becoming Miss USA. You won't want to miss her story. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I am honored to have Nana Merriweather with me. Uh, Nana is a very accomplished individual, and we're going to talk a lot about those accomplishments. But a couple of things that really stood out to me uh, about her is one, just an amazing story of perseverance. Uh, continuing to go after what she wants and not stopping until she gets there and then two if you ever see her walking around listening to music it's probably going to be Coldplay so just wanted to highlight that so
1: <laughs> I love you know those random facts it's so
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> no hey I heard that I was like man a, a, a just advocate for Coldplay that's an interesting one but we're, we're cool with yeah. it we're a role
1: I love it <laughs>
0: oh, well thanks for being on today Nana
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you.
0: You betcha. So talking about your growing up and kind of early years, um, you know, a lot of people might assume as we hear this story that if we didn't start with the beginning, uh, certain things about your background, but talk a little bit about your parents coming to the United States.
1: Yeah. So a lot of my life story is based very much um, and influenced by my parents. Uh, My dad is American. He grew up in the South. He was born in Tennessee, but grew up in South Carolina. And it was during civil rights, so he didn't have much growing up, but he used school as a way to better his life. And he ended up uh, going to Michigan State. He was there for three years, graduated early, and was admitted into Duke University Medical School. And there he was the first African American to attend and graduate. Um, And my mother has a similar story in that she used education as a way to better her life. She was born and raised in South Africa during apartheid. Um, She grew up in Soweto and um, studied really, really hard as much as she could and took all the opportunities that were available to her um, and got a United Nations grant to come study in the States. And to this day, she's a lawyer, she's the CPA and she has an MBA and my dad's a doctor. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, so very accomplished individuals.
1: Yeah, that's what I want to live up to. Um, but from their life experience, um, they knew that school was really important, and they imparted that onto my brother, sister, and I. And so um, my my siblings and I grew up in the D.C. area, and my parents um, Gratefully put us into Civil Friends, which is where pretty much all the president's kids go. So if you're in DC and your mom's an ambassador or president, um, you go to Civil. Like my classmates were um, Chelsea Clinton, Al Gore's son was in my sister's grade. Um, a lot of people worked for the World Bank, um, as I said, ambassadors and senators, and even it goes way back to the Roosevelts and Nixons, and even the Obama daughters um, went to Sidwell. So I went from first to 12th grade, and so it was that's all I knew. That Sidwell was all I knew, and um. Yeah, it was, it was a really amazing upbringing. You don't know what you're in until you leave. And then Facebook was made, and you're like, oh my gosh, your dad, your, your, your families. Like in context, I didn't really understand, and I was young. Um, but it really imparted and planted in me um, the sense that I must aspire to things bigger than myself.
0: Hey, all I have to say is, after the fact, now people are saying that about you. Can you believe I went to school with her?
1: That's hilarious, which it would be really cool because I was not very popular growing up. So,
0: <laughs> Well, that's changing. That's changing. Thank so, you. yes. So something that I think is interesting there is, you know, once again, uh, your folks had accomplished a lot. Now, everyone has different types of parents, right? Some parents kind of uh, vocally express, hey, we have certain expectations of you. Uh, You know, I love my parents to death, but they did that for me. And some parents, you know, say, hey, we just want you to create your own path. So talk a little bit about, you know, the upbringing and the way your parents parented you.
1: Yeah, so it was very subtle. Um, They weren't very... Except for my dad, he, he really wanted me to become a doctor and he still does. Like sometimes he'll email me like, oh, look, this medical school is taking applications.
0: Just FYI. <laughs>
1: yeah. So they're really compassionate in that way and they led by example. It wasn't like sitting us down and being like, you have to get straight A's and, you know, go to Harvard. It was um, more, we saw my parents especially giving back to others. And um, they did a lot of work in Southern Africa. In fact, they met in the States. And then in the early 1980s, um, my dad was a professor at Harvard and Johns Hopkins. And he was teaching about all these diseases like TB, but he'd never seen them in the field. So he was like, Okay, to my mom, we're moving back to South Africa for a year, and so they did, and they stayed in a very rural town on the border of the Cougar National Park. Um, What was to be a year, they spent actually eight years. My dad worked in a rural hospital and my mom would help the women of the village start small business and empower them. Um, And over that eight years, they helped over half a million people because um, there was a civil war in Mozambique, so refugees would come into South Africa and my dad would check them into the hospital even if they were sick or not, um, yeah. so that they would not get thrown out of the country. So they started a mini refugee camp outside of our house and the hospital. And oh, cool. so I was born during this time. So I have a very philanthropic uh, thread that runs through me and it's influenced by my parents. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about this probably later, but in 2007, I co-founded a nonprofit um, that we, we do work in Southern Africa to do. It started in health, we'd open clinics, but we realized other social services were needed. So our centers grew to have um, schools, uh, clinic, organic garden programs. we brought water to villages for the first time, electricity, Um, but yeah, it's all influenced by my parents. And it wasn't very like direct them telling us what to do. It was, we witnessed their work and were inspired to do the same.
0: That is fascinating and amazing. I love that. And yes, we are gonna talk more about the nonprofit. So that's great. Yeah. Now for you, you know, you're, you're playing sports and then the time comes to decide to go to college and you decide, well, you know, my dad went to Duke, maybe Duke's a pretty good school. So initially you elect to go to Duke.
1: Yeah. It was, I was very influenced by my dad. He very much was <laughs> uh, like, yes, fulfill my legacy. You go to Duke and it's a phenomenal school. Um, I had a really, really great uh, experience. I played volleyball there um, simultaneous, but I lasted one semester um, and it had nothing to do with my grades. I think I actually got like better grades at Duke than at UCLA or like the average, but um, I had experienced this private school life um, before and it was very similar to Sidwell and um, I'm very influenced by my surroundings and I'm very much a city girl and North Carolina is like a small town. It's like a college town and very insulated. And I decided to transfer after one semester. And I remember calling the UCLA volleyball coaches and being like, hi, um, (laughs) may I come to your school please? (laughs) And so they helped initiate the transfer. And um, so I, I spent Second semester of my freshman year um, in a new school, I transferred to UCLA.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that. So, you know, being sports individuals, you and I both, um, you know, the recruiting process, there's obviously multiple schools that are trying to attract you to their university. Was UCLA one of the top ones for you and you had elected Duke over them? Or how did you come to come back to UCLA?
1: Great question, because at the time, I know now volleyball is universal and it's everywhere. But back in the day, volleyball was a California sport. No one, hardly anyone in Maryland or the East Coast played it. Yeah, um, It was very niche to California. And a lot of the recruiting was done in California. Um, and no one knew. I, I was even in like a small private school in Maryland, in DC, right? No one cared. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I actually made my mom tape my games in my high school games, VHS. Yes. And then I would somehow edit the videos. I don't know how I did that on VTPHS VG- <laughs> but I made myself a recruiting video and I sent it to, you know, Stanford, Arizona, Texas, um, <laughs> Berkeley, UCLA, USC, all of the top, and Penn State, these were all the top volleyball schools in the nation. And that was the start of me like starting to like cold reach out to these like people I should not be talking to, but I had this dream of one day playing in like one of the top 10 volleyball schools. Um, And my reach outs worked. I ended up being recruited uh, by really, really big schools, Um, but it took my initiative first in sending these these recruiting tapes. Um, And I did get bite from, um, you know, like Texas. I took a trip to Stanford, uh, Berkeley, Mm -hmm. UCLA. Um, And my favorite was UCLA um and don't tell anyone this it was because like they had really cute basketball players and football players <laughs> and the i were really great um
0: yeah <laughs>
1: No, actually, yeah, well, that's probably the real reason.
0: Um, <laughs> hey, no one's going to judge you for that. I think it, it, deep down in all of us, that had a portion to do with where we decided to go to school.
1: Cuter boys. <laughs> Don't tell my dad, especially. Um, no, but I took uh, a lot of recruiting trips, and uh, I really, really, really loved UCLA. And um, But Duke was Duke, right? So I took my chance, uh, tried Duke, and um Decided it wasn't for me
0: and switched over to UCLA. Absolutely. Well, hey, at the end of the day, no one's going to fault you for thinking UCLA is a good school to go to because it is. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to moms across the world that record their kids' at sporting events. My mom did that for me with basketball. Your your mom with volleyball. It's like, man, the amount of hours that they just spent there looking through a little. Yeah.
1: Honestly, thank you, moms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as you go to UCLA, like you said, UCLA is a powerhouse. They're they're one of the top programs in the uh, in the country, and so when you're showing up there, I'm sure it's a very competitive environment. And you know, being what 19 years old, uh, I'm sure it can be a little bit intimidating. Talk about the process of getting ingrained as a freshman.
1: Yeah, well, academically first, UCLA is the best public university in the country. Um, And at the time UCLA was the best athletic school in the nation, we had the most national championships. So in both, it was very competitive in the classroom and on the court. In fact, when I got to UCLA, my entire team was from California. I think we had like a Colorado girl or two Colorado girls, maybe like a Texas girl, but it was majority California girls who had grown up, uh, eating, drinking, sleeping, yeah off. and I showed up this east coast girl like hey guys um and not only that uh, as soon as I got to UCLA and started practicing my coaches realized my footwork was backwards so I hadn't properly learned the sport I was more wow. of an athlete playing the sport of volleyball yeah. than a volleyball player so I had to actually relearn the sport relearn my arm swing um my footwork, everything. So I started over. Not only that, but I had to keep up with the girls who already knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it was really, it was really challenging. Um, but I, I put my all into it. And then by my junior and senior year, I became an all-American. Um, and by senior year, we made it to the final four. And during that game, I was recruited to play professionally and train for the Olympics in Colorado Springs. So I put in the work and um, got results.
0: (laughs) Okay, so we're not going to just fast forward through that. Yeah. Hey, I was working on my footwork and then I became an Uh, (laughs) All-American. So let's dig into that a little bit, because I think this is going to be a common theme throughout the, the rest of your life. And that is, you know realizing that, hey, maybe I'm not where someone else is at, but I have the capability to get there. So talk a little bit about, you know, whether that's parents, coaches, friends, teammates that were that would either encourage you or maybe you had a lack of that and you just had that internal drive to you know, prove to people you could.
1: Yeah, I think it's the latter. So yeah. I'm, it starts off that I'm a middle child. Um, I have an older sister. She's first born and a younger brother. He's the only boy. So I think my entire life is just me trying to get attention from people. <laughs> like, oh, I am worthy. Um, so <laughs> there very much is an internal uh, burden in me yeah. um, that um, I feel as if, and it this does not have to be reality but in my mind I feel that I'm overlooked and there's something in me that's like oh no 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 I have to like be recognized but in a in like a humble way it's not like I'm like screaming from rooftops like I'm the best and I've had to work for everything that I've done but um I think it's the same with with volleyball I I entered that I entered UCLA like nobody knew me um But I'm also very observant. Um, I'm a learner, I'm curious, and um, I am coachable and I take feedback really, really well. So with all those in the pot, um, I'm able to realize what I need to do in order to excel. And I think that's really hard for people to take feedback and to change. Um, But I'm I'm very good at that, which can be a good and bad thing um, that I'm very attuned to what people tell me and their feedback. Yeah. Um, I'm now learning to um, have boundaries as well, mm-hmm. um, because when you're listening too much to people that can also affect you because then you're completely always changing right. feedback uh, and you don't really have a filter. But um, I, I, in my old older years now, I, I'm beginning to filter that and and Figure out what is truly me and what I should listen to from other people, but yeah, uh, at UCLA it, it's a similar experience, um, and I mean our day to days were were super. Hard, Um, we were both students and athletes. I also joined a sorority during my UCLA days. And at some point I had like a part-time job. I was a barista and (laughs) I also worked at a clothing store down in Westwood Village. Um, But like our mornings, we'd start practice at seven. So you'd have to get all your treatment, your heat, your taping your ankles by like 6.50 and be in the gym. And then we'd have three hour practice and then we'd go to class. And then in the evenings, we'd either have conditioning or weightlifting. And we were also one of the first schools to start yoga.
0: Mm, and it was in yeah.
1: college, yoga was, that that seed was planted, which will like come into uh, like my thirties that yeah. I, I very much become um, blossomed into wellness. And it's it kind of almost started there. Um, I was in, introduced to this mindfulness and taking time to sit.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to rewind a little bit to the getting feedback from people. Um, you know, so it was interesting. I was uh, recording with a gentleman uh, a little while ago, and he uh, owns, you know, multimillion dollar businesses. And he said that when he was first going to pick his first job, he asked his mom, who was a second grade school teacher. And wasn't very financially well to do which job he should take and she gave him advice and he goes, I just don't think that's the right advice like I'm going to pick the other option. And he came back to and said, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, we go to people that we know care about us to get advice, but sometimes they're giving us the safe advice opposed to what might be the best advice. So, you know, thinking about that for you, and advice you've gotten, you know, how has that played in your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, you you even see it because my dad was like, you should go to Duke, right? And then I tried it. And then something in my internal compass was like, turn this way instead. So, you know, I'll say, yeah, the majority of my younger life, I was very much listening to what other people have said. And then I'll get into this too. But then I've been on the spiritual journey since maybe like my early thirties yeah. and what's grown in me is this connection and alignment where I now don't necessarily, no, no, no. I, I do need feedback from other people. I always will, but there's the filter now where yeah. I, I take the feedback. It goes through me and I'm like, is this for me? Should I take that direction? Is this strategy, uh, fulfilling and what my, my life needs, where in my younger years, I was just taking it all in. I was taking it all in to the point where I didn't know who I was. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and so, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a balance. I think, um, being able to, you need to hear feedback or else you become like a narcissist, really arrogant person. <laughs> um, there needs to be some humility, um, but I've learned over the years how to balance it.
0: Yes. That's awesome. So we're progressing and you're doing well in volleyball. Like you said, you get this invitation to play professionally. You're training for the Olympics. Uh, I mean, that, that has to just be an immaculate feeling to go from, Hey, four years ago, I was, gosh, I don't even you know feel like I belong or, you know, I didn't feel like I was at the same level as these girls. And now, I mean, you've eclipsed probably some of them, most of them, and you're at the highest pinnacle of, of your sport.
1: Interesting. Yeah. But when you're in it, you don't realize what you've done. Yeah. I haven't even sat to think about what you just said, but like I've accomplished that. Uh, This is like an epiphany to me. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I I did rise to become one of the best in my position in this country at the time. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) You, know, what, you, you
0: sit there and think on that you know later today you can shoot me a text and say wow. no. <laughs> yeah. let that sink in let that sink yeah. in yeah. yeah that's amazing so as as you're doing um after you graduate you then decide i'm going to do some postgraduate work at usc right
1: yes so um first of all usc and ucla are rivals <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I, I, I wasn't going to call it out. I didn't want to you know, stir up any bad blood there. But
1: yeah, so for me to go jump over to the other side of town to USC, I didn't tell a lot of my athlete friends that I was now at our arrival. But at the time, my brother was actually attending the University of Southern California. So oh. it was super nice to be on campus sometimes and grab lunch with him. And I was in a postgraduate medical sciences program It's called post-baccalaureate. And it's for undergrads who have graduated, but have decided that they want to go to medical school, but they've taken um, humanities or softer classes that you need a certain core class group in order to apply to medical school. And they're really intense classes. It's chemistry, biology, calculus, organic chemistry, all the physics And so it's condensed as well, where it would have taken an undergrad four years to do, you do it in something like a year and a half or two years. Um, So my brother is actually pre-med at USC and he was always one class ahead of me. So if I was in bio one, he was in bio two. So what would happen is he'd give me his notes from the semester before. So my little brother was actually tutoring me in science.
0: That's a good brother.
1: yeah (laughs) it was it was a great it was a great experience because um I am not very science minded um although I've come to be um and the sciences that I learned definitely inform the work that I do now because I do make wine and all wine is is an application of chemistry and biology so that's an example of in my life where like I didn't go to medical school and I didn't become a doctor. And so it would have been like, what's the point of these two years that I spent studying science? It all made sense now because I know what fermentation is and how to like manipulate sugars and like all the yeast and microorganisms that I deal with because of my learnings uh, back then. But not only was I in class, um, I would shadow surgeons at Cedar sinai Um, I was studying for the MCAT. Uh, but during this time I was bored not bored but you know I was a student and an athlete there's always like many things happening in my life yes Uh, and I missed competing in something and one of my friends suggested I compete in pageants yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so your friend says hey you're a competitive person you're good looking you're you got time (laughs) why don't you compete for this thing called Miss Malibu and you're like Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose I could, right? Like, why not? Yeah.
1: So it was 2007. And, um, yeah, per recommendation from a friend, I competed in my first pageant, Miss Malibu, and I was coming up being an athlete. I didn't know how to wear makeup. I'd never done it. Like I didn't know what mascara, was. like, I didn't know what to do. Yes. Um, and I, I, I applied, got into the pageant and, um, I sewed my evening gown. Yes. Um, I don't know how I even prepared for the interview portion, but I ended up winning Miss Malibu, which leads you on to Miss California, which is, was I think it was at the time, or maybe Texas. It was between Texas and California, who had the most contestants. There were something like 300 girls who competed at California uh-huh. each year. Yeah. And so my, my Miss Malibu title took me on to Miss California, USA. And I was like, "Oh my God, I'm gonna win!" And I lost. I didn't even make <laughs> the top fifteen. Um, it was it was a very interesting evening um, that I I didn't even break the top fifteen, which yeah. meant you know something lit a fire in me i was like i'm coming back next year there's something here um and there is something there in that a lot of people look at pageants very superficially but it's a great opportunity um for women to um present yourself fully in front of judges in front of an audience you really have to know the ins and outs of yourself Um, and how to present yourself in a full package. You have to be eating healthy um, in order to present yourself in a bikini or an evening gown. You have to be uh, knowing of the world because there's the final question on stage where you're answering questions about current events or um, in-depth topics. So it's a way to really create a package of who am I um, in order to present yourself to thousands of people. And at the Miss USA level, it's millions of people.
0: Yeah. Well, and something that I think about that is if you were only focusing on the competition itself, uh, I think you you missed the boat a little bit because so many of the skills that a person's learning in that, obviously, I didn't go through it, so I don't know. I only know from secondhand information, but the skills that you're learning in that are so applicable and transferable to careers and future relationships and things like that.
1: Well, for sure. I'm never nervous for interviews now. Okay, I <laughs> am sometimes, but <laughs> the amount of interviews I've done on stage and backstage, yes. i how to prepare um really well for when i'm going to encounter another and i will be probed with questions um but yes definitely it's it's you learn a lot of skill sets that are transferable to job interviews um to media interviews um but yeah it's it's more than what people think pageants are
0: yeah so you hit you hit on it the first one didn't place so now is where we start growing this resiliency muscle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I w- we would love to say year two, I compete again, and this is the year I win. But talk a little bit about the next few years.
1: So I need to count how many times I went back to California, but it was many, four or five times. I think you maybe? said four, yeah. Okay, uh, yes. And um, never won. I never mm-hmm. won California. Um, the highest I got was second place. Um, So my first year, I didn't place at all. My second year, I worked really hard because I'd gone through it, I studied, and I bettered myself. And I came back and I made the top five, um, which is a really, really big deal. Yeah. But I lost. I I didn't win. Uh, And then I think it was the next year, I became second place. um, And the girl who won that year is married to Michael Phelps. So the competition was very, very steep. (laughs) Like legitimate women um, who are beautiful and intelligent. Um, And then the next year, I think I made the top five again. So you age out of these pageants. At 26, you can no longer compete. So I think I was like 25 or 26 at the time. And so it was my last chance to win a state title. And when you win a state title, you're on to the big show, the Miss USA pageant. And so I had done studying uh, at USC and I decided to move home to Maryland and give my home state a try. So I competed for Miss Maryland uh, USA and it was my final chance. And that night I made the top 15, I made the top 10, all of a sudden I'm in the top five and I'm like, oh my God, please, I really, really want to go to Miss USA, please. and Then it was the final two, it was me and another girl. And I I was like, I know this place before, I've been top two before. And I was like, please, I'm praying, please let me win. And I won and I became Miss Maryland USA. which that's meant good. I was on to Miss USA.
0: So yeah. <laughs> yes. So I want to unpack a couple of things. One, if you're watching this, you're probably sitting there saying, aren't you like 24 now? No, no, because that's about how old she looks. Um, she's kept her youthful vibe. So no, she did get a little bit older in those things. Now, the second thing though, that I wanted to highlight in what she talked about is kind of goals in progressing there. So I think sometimes we have this ultimate goal and if we don't hit it, we regress or we lose confidence or we lose steam, but you saw each progression in your California competitions as I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. So talk a little about just the mindset of, you know, even though I wasn't hitting my ultimate goal, I was working towards it. And that gave me, you know, momentum and encouragement to keep going.
1: Yeah, and it's informed my startup life because there's a lot of no's when you have a really high arching goal. It is not a straightforward path. And I think the media really evangelizes winners and their stories are so like glorious. And the story of no is never told. Right. Um, No's are actually a blessing. And you really have to have your eye on what you want to become because, uh, and take no's because there are clues when someone says no. You should look at what, why, why, Mm. like what is there, what information is there that I can, you know, take to better what I'm, I'm, I'm like uh, working towards. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like I, I didn't win when, I, I got uh, as high as second place at Miss California, and I was like, what have I done wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's I don't know. You you take the feedback and yep. you better your strategy on how to reapproach, um, you know, uh, what you're you're aspiring to. And also, I look back on the nose now, and what ended up happening is, you know, I ended up achieving this goal of. I eventually become miss usa yeah
0: Uh,
1: so the years that i didn't win california you know who knows if i become miss california maybe that year i wouldn't have become miss usa so it's all due timing and the story unfolds so you may be in it now and you're like not getting what you want but you have to keep going because it's all a part of the journey
0: yes oh that's so good now it's tough to rank moments, but I'm going to make you do it because, well, I can. And so would you say competing in, like, the final four or winning Miss Maryland, I mean, how do those compare? What What was the feelings like in each of those?
1: Similar feelings, um, you know, and that's another thing. Like, my life is not always winning moments. Like, I'll have these peak experiences, and then, like, it gets real quiet, and I'm like, who am I? What am yeah. I working? Yeah. Uh, but the moments have very similar feelings like the air is different and mm. i can tell when i'm working towards something and it's about to culminate and i just need to hang on and keep going yeah drumming up energy to like reach these peak moments Um, But there were differences, yeah, because volleyball is a team sport. Uh, Pageants, you're up there uh, half naked by yourself and you need to answer
0: questions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Where in volleyball, you have a team to rely on. But again, what if your team's not playing well? Like in volleyball, team sport, if your team's not doing well, you're not doing well. Where in pageants, you're not doing well. You have the control to be like, okay, I need to shake myself out of this. And you have no one else to direct. Um, So they were both very good lessons and very similar feelings, just in the context of other people and in the context of being on your own.
0: Yeah, that's good. Now, something that you mentioned there, and so this has been, I was taught this in the sixth grade, uh, a guy that was coaching me with basketball gave me this book, and uh, it talked about the human highlight reel, and it forever has changed my life. And I think one thing we don't do well as humans is we get caught up in our thoughts and we don't realize that we're even having some of those negative thoughts you had mentioned, where some days, you know, I'm at the pinnacle and other days I feel like I'm down here. And so the book talked about, well, create or remember three or four moments in your life that you can kind of replay for about a minute and you feel the moment and you can completely change the trajectory of your thoughts. And so I did that. And I just remember, you know, after a bad basketball game or now in my professional career, after a tough business day or, you know, a deal doesn't go as planned, I can't take that negative energy into my next experience. Otherwise, it's going to set it on a roller coaster of bad so I have to be able to take my energy and focus it on something more positive. And so having that human highlight reel of some of those moments, obviously, I didn't play in any final fours or win any uh, miss or misser states of anything. But, you know, having those moments that can kind of change your trajectory of thinking.
1: Wow, that's such great advice. And what's funny is like spiritual people talk about this, but in order to like manifest, you embody, you know feelings of positivity and happiness and so you know I I, I'm very bad at sitting in celebration of the accomplishments that I've done yeah okay I did that on to the next Mm -hmm. Um, but it's very interesting to be mindful of when you're in those moments so you remember how it feels that you've accomplished something so that yes on bad days you can sit and be like okay I got this let me just embody that energy that is such great advice I'm going to use that
0: Perfect. At least I could help you a little bit today. You're helping a ton of people and me, so I love it. Perfect. So you win Miss Maryland, and now, like you said, you get to go compete for for Miss USA. And this is a extensive process, but something I want you to highlight um, in that process was uh, the workouts and the difference between maybe week one and week two, and then the last few days where. You, Rhode Island, and Ohio are still there. So, talk a little bit about that.
1: So, yeah, leading up to the Miss USA competition. Um, uh-huh. So, you win, I win Maryland, and I'm like, yay. And then I'm like, next day, day one, I'll be, uh, being on the journey to Miss USA, because I want this title. Yes. Not in like a very, I, I'm very, I'm like, a, I can't explain this, but like, I'm not, I'm not overtly like, I'm going to go cut up your dress. And- <laughs> i um, like, put a piece powder in your bikini. I very much, when I'm competing for something, I'm very hard on myself. Yeah. Um, I'm not very outward and being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go like terrorize Arizona or like, yeah. Miss- it's very much like I'm gonna like terrorize myself Um, but so with that said I I, I'm very hard on myself when I'm competing for something and leading up to Miss USA was just the same I did double days I was in the gym twice a day um I was eating super well Um, I was paying attention to the news and forming opinion and starting to realize who I was and where I stood and um beginning to prepare myself to present myself because at the time there was no Instagram. I was the first Miss USA on Instagram. Oh, let's go. We were the most, in the airing of Miss Teen USA, Miss USA and Miss Universe, at the time we were one of the most watched world events Hmm. um, besides the Olympics and the World Cup. Um, So it was like a major thing. Now there's a lot of distractions like TikTok and uh, whatever. (laughs) We we were the it girls at the time. So um, we, I I would prepare and then uh, come competition, it's actually four weeks long. Um, It's aired one night and people don't know this, but the the girls are there for four weeks. And we were, our host city at the time was Vegas. And so I moved to Las Vegas (laughs) and um, we stayed at the Planet Hollywood and they would sanction an entire floor for all of the states and we were chaperoned everywhere. You were not allowed to go off on your own and see your family or your boyfriend or go work out at the gym.
0: Wow. You
1: were, you were regimented, you had a schedule, you needed to be somewhere. Um, and often our mornings uh, and our day of events started really early, sometimes even like 7 a.m. So. When we first got there, like the first two weeks, everyone's really excited to be there and enthusiastic and ambitious. So at four, 5 a.m., you see girls out in the hallway working out because we weren't allowed to go to the gym. Like girls running the floors and they're like stretch bands and like weights and whatever in the hallway. Um, but by week three and four, um, the endurance and a lot of girls, and it's, it's hard. It's like a right. really, really hard thing. Uh, it's very mentally taxing and physically taxing. Um, but by the, by the last week, the last lead up to the telecast of Miss USA, there were just three girls I remember left waking up at 4 a.m. to make our 7 a.m. events. Uh, and it was me, Rhode Island, and Ohio. And we ended up being the last ones standing on final night. So I always love telling that story because there's something uh, in persistence and Putting in in backstage and it 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 filtered into who was left uh, the final night.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we we said, hey, um, you become the the top person. However, on the night of decision, that yeah. may or may not actually be the case.
1: Yeah. So my story to and road to Miss USA is very interesting. <laughs> I was one. Of, I was the last two standing. It was me and Rhode Island and there was drama and friction and like, like, like suspense in the air. That's the word, suspense.
0: Yeah.
1: And the, the announcer's like, okay, first runner up is, which means um, the person they don't say um, is Miss USA. So first runner up is Maryland. So I didn't win. I didn't end up winning Miss USA that night. Rhode Island won. Yes. And I I don't remember, like the feeling in that moment, I was like, I was fine with it. I was like, I was super happy for her and I was fine with it. I was, there was a little like, wow, I really thought that I, Mm. that's the weirdest feeling because I mean, I really embodied and thought that I was gonna be Miss USA.
0: Yeah.
1: I was like, I guess that's not true. That's so weird. In like a very like, I don't know, like on another level of like, there was a knowing that I was Miss USA and I was just really that it didn't play out. But I was like, no, well, good job, Rhode Island. You're gorgeous. Go on to Miss Universe and have a great time. Um, What a road that was. I got as high as the top two and that took as as a lot of work to do. Um, And so I was was content and I left the pageant and um, I, I think I traveled a lot in that summer um, and then it came to Miss Universe night. And uh, I think it was like four or five months later, or six, something like that. Um, and Miss Universe competition was on. I wasn't even going to watch it. And my roommate at the time was like, no, 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 let's watch it. She worked at, a, I was in New York now. I was living in New York. She worked at a bar and she's like, no, just come watch it. I'll go I'll, I'll, like pay for your dinner and you can have uh, come, so uh, it was in Midtown, the bar. So I went to the bar, and she put it on, and the other TVs had like basketball and football, and then people like were watching the Miss Universe pageant, and we're like requesting it on other TVs. So by the end of the night, Miss Universe was like on all the TVs, <laughs> and so what happened was Rhode Island or Miss USA. She became Miss USA, Rhode Island. She kept progressing. She kept being in the 10, the 15, the 10, the five, and then all of a sudden she's final two. Yeah. Nana, if she wins, (laughs) you become Miss USA, you realize. (laughs) And that's what ended up happening. So the girl who won Miss USA became Miss Universe and like a vice president would ascend to president if something happened. Uh, I, in that moment became Miss USA and I've never seen my phone like blow up. like blew up. Like yeah. I got so many text messages and so many calls, yeah. um, including from my mom, which is just like, it's just two minutes of her screaming, like, oh my God, oh my God. And so, yeah, the very next morning I got a phone call from the Miss Universe organization and they were like, we're, we're sure you heard, um, would you like to accept the job of Miss USA? Um, and I said, yes, please. Like, yes. Um, and so that knowing that I was this thing was actually true. Um, and so I, I ended up becoming Miss USA.
0: <laughs> <gasps> That's awesome. So. I, I like how you talk about embodying that in almost having that feeling like, hey, I, I really felt like that was going to happen. And then it ends up happening. Um, I, I think there's something powerful about, you know, believing you're going to achieve it, seeing yourself in that role before it ever happens.
1: Yeah. And that things aren't going to happen the way you think they are. Yeah. That, like. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm totally gonna get this job. Let me just walk into this room. But you may have to like go to the other building, go downstairs, go in the side door, but then you go, right? Yeah. Um, so there was this knowing, but it didn't turn out the way I thought it was. Um, and again, not in an arrogant way. It was really like this thread in me. It was like, you're totally this thing. Like, how did you not become the thing? Oh, well, but it it was true. And yeah. so, yeah it's, it's, things don't always turn out the way you, you think they will, but like embody that feeling and, and, you know,
0: it'll yeah. Well, so a question I have for you just about confidence and growing it. And I know, you know, just kind of listening to you talk about, you know, in high school, I wasn't necessarily the most popular person, but then I went to a big university. I was a star athlete on a great team. Uh, then I won, you know, some of these contests, you know, maybe talk a little bit about how confidence comes from who you're becoming and not so much a title that you held or a position you played or an accomplishment that you got.
1: Yeah. So these peak things I've done, like becoming an athlete, becoming Miss USA, actually didn't spring from confidence. They they came from insecurity. Mm. Um, all that Miss USA is is like an entire nation embracing you. And that was my insecurity that in high school, like no one wanted to hang out with me because I was like too tall and like super quiet and awkward. Yeah. Um, there's this thing in me, like super insecure of like, do people like me? Like, and then I think that was like the seed, like Miss USA is that people like you. Um so yeah, I mean, there's something to say about confidence, but I think it can also be a detriment. And for me, honestly, what's driven me and fueled me is um, that I can be better and I need to answer these, you know, longings in me by aspiring to these ridiculous things.
0: <laughs> I love it. So one thing I do want to highlight, by the way, is that you are the only Miss Marilyn to take that title because I researched it and technically there was one before you, but she's a cheat and she was married. So she does not count.
1: Oh my God. That's so cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So there there was one, one before you that ended up with this USA, but uh, yeah, I guess allegedly she was married. So they ended up rescinding it. Someone else won. So you are the only, we're, we're just going to acknowledge that.
1: Oh, thank you for that. (laughs) I should know that, but I don't.
0: Thank you. It's It's okay. You now know. Oh no, well good. So I want to end um this portion on a question. So you actually talked about it a little bit earlier, but the idea that was explained to me uh was this concept of what, what I call blissful dissatisfaction. So that's a lot in two words, but it's the idea that some people peak early in life because they hit their first goal and then what their goal is is to just maintain that, which isn't a bad thing. That's just the way some people's lives end up. Then there are other people that every time they hit a goal, they're onto the next goal right away. It's like, Oh, well, that was really cool, but I'm already going to be on to the next one. And so the blissful dissatisfaction is how do I enjoy a moment of success without losing my uh, vigor for the next goal? So talk a little bit about how that's played in your life with all the things that you've been able to accomplish.
1: Great question. Um, Yeah. I mean, when I was at the peak of playing volleyball, I was like, okay, I'm going to go be Miss USA. Now my life is, comes in cycles and it's almost like four year cycles where, you know, I'll reach something and then it starts to fade. Like my athleticism was like, okay, my shoulder's falling off. Like I'm not having, I don't feel passionate about this when I'm on the court. Like there has to be something more. And there's like, it, in in that in that like it's it's kind of like a sad dark time Mm. where i'm like oh my gosh i'm losing my identity as an athlete is this over like is there anything left in me who am i yeah Uh, and so like i'll reach these peak things and that's what's written about me but in between there's like these two or three years where i'm trying to figure out what am i doing like Mm. what is next um, what do I need to do to prepare myself? As I said, like I was coming off sports and I didn't know how to even wear makeup. Like there, that two to three years of like, okay, how do I put myself together to reach this like thing of Miss USA? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there there is in in that in that decline though, I think a lot of people lose like the, the motivation to rebuild another identity, mm. um, where I. I just being curious and, and motivated. I'm like, no, I have to recreate something. I have to keep going. Um, and so, yeah, even, even when I'm at a peak, I'm definitely, I don't think I'm looking for what's next because there's no room to, right, um, in the decline of an identity where I'm like, okay, I need to rebuild myself to something else, um, which is a hard thing because, letting go of an identity is like a depressing thing um like you can think of it as like mothers letting their kids go to college if you're a mother or like you losing a job like you have to recreate like over and over again in your life it's a cycle and you have to like kind of find a new fire and retell your story at least for me every four years or something like that yeah Um, but it takes it takes courage and perseverance and persistence to rebuild again.
0: Absolutely. Well, Nana, thanks so much for sharing a first part of the story. Uh, So excited to have so many people uh, take great takeaways from not only your experience and perseverance in the athletic part, but then in your uh, goals of becoming Missing United States. So thanks so much. Thank Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Nana's Story. I love how she's willing to pivot and to continue to grow towards her ultimate goal. She doesn't recognize missing the ultimate goal as a setback, but more so as she was gaining ground on her way to accomplishing her goal. We're having a part two of Nana's Story where she'll talk about founding her company, Kale Wine.